see all of you. I see Pat Jones back there. Haven't seen him in years, and I'm so glad to see his face tonight. He still looks like he did when he was a boy student at Florida College years ago, back in the sometime. <laughs> the Apostle Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Wonderful sentiment expressed by a man who had given his life to take the gospel to the Gentile world. And along the way, to deal with some Jews as well. We've been talking this week about the nature and the person of God and of His Son. How important that is to understand. I think in every lesson we have looked at a verse in John chapter 17, just briefly, each time, but it says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. To think about God is almost to reach beyond our ability we can comprehend much about our Father in Heaven, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and our Revealer, Comforter, comforting us in knowledge, with knowledge and understanding of the promises of God, comforting us. We can know much about each of them, but there are going to be issues and thinking that we have trouble comprehending. And that's because God is so great and God is so good, as our song says. When we think about the Godhood, Godhead, as we were looking at it the other night, we think about God the Father. God the Father is the designer, creator of all things other than himself that are and that have been made. That's difficult to think about. And God the Son, we might call him the executor, the one who brings things about that are the will of the Father. In him all things were made that have been made, John said. He is the creator 
the actual bringer into life of all things God designed and created. And then we have the Holy Spirit, the communicator, the revealer. We think about the role of the Holy Spirit sometimes as the miracle worker. And he did bring some to do miracles. Not every Christian did miracles. Paul tells us that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But the Holy Spirit brought miracles. But the miracles were to confirm the message and the messenger of God. When you think Holy Spirit, you don't think miracles first, do you? If you do, you probably shouldn't. You should think revelation. You should think inspiration. You should think the revealing of God's will to us. And how that by that revelation, knowing God's will, we can be saved. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching the message to save men that believe. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone who believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. I'm taking just a moment for a little introduction and background for what we're going to talk about this evening, because we're going to talk about Christ living in us, like the song said. So I'm going to come back to that. But because uh, our meeting is so short and your clock runs so fast while we're here, you need to fix that, incidentally. We don't have time for all the lessons about God that we'd like to have, but I do want to read with you, before the end of this week comes, a few verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Do you have your Bibles? Everybody have a Bible? Let me see your Bibles. Good, very good. Pat didn't raise his Bible up. I call him out here. He knows this from heart. Verse 9 says, As it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. The things that God wants us to know that he has prepared for our redemption from sin, our salvation, ultimately. They didn't come by just observing our environment or the things that are around us. I have not seen. 
those things. We didn't observe them. Nor ear heard. We didn't get it by what someone said in the world. Nor have any of these entered into the heart of man. Man did not think this up. It's too grand for man to think up. But God has revealed them, the text says, to us through His Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. That third person of deity that we were talking about the other night. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. The Holy Spirit has revealed the Bible. And what he has given, this text is telling us, has come in God's own words. So the inspiration of the Bible offers us God's Word in God's own words. And we need to know that. I get a little troubled sometimes by even some of our brethren who equivocate with regard to the verbal inspiration of the Scriptures. God gave us His Word. Why do you think Brother Harold and Brother Reagan get up here and present these messages and talk about, usually about a third of their sermon, defining the terms that are used in the text that they present? Why do they do that? What difference would it make if they were just the product of man, they are the product of God, the Holy Spirit, revealing the mind of the Lord Jesus and the Father who is in heaven. So it's important, I think, for us to affirm the inspiration of the Scriptures. And we depend on it. For our salvation, it did not come from man. Man didn't think it up. He didn't see it out here somewhere. He didn't hear it in the wind. It came from the Holy Spirit. Now, I would like to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit tonight. I'm not going to do that. But I want to suggest something for you, and particularly to some of you men who are preaching who are here tonight, preachers. When I study the Holy Spirit, I have a little 
guideline in my mind that helps me in my study. And I thought I'd share that with you before we go on to our other text for tonight. When you read a passage of Scripture that deals with the Holy Spirit, it will help you if you will put it in a category. The Holy Spirit spoke in a special way to the apostles. And some of the passages deal with what was characteristic of God's mission for the apostles themselves. So if your passage is speaking to the apostles, Decide that, set it aside at the very beginning. Recognize that. There are passages in the New Testament, for example, where Jesus told the apostles that they could take up snakes. And if they bit them, it wouldn't hurt them. And some of my dear friends, I've already told you that I'm from Tennessee, And we have some good friends up in the mountains of Tennessee, up in East Tennessee, who think that that passage was written to them. And that passage was written for the apostles and their very special abilities given by the Holy Spirit that would confirm the message that they preached. And then you want to understand that the Holy Spirit operated in the first century church in a special way. You see, those first Christians in the church at Corinth, for example, where you can read about this, about the Holy Spirit operation in the church, those early Christians didn't have a a Bible book like you have. When people ask them, why should I be a Christian? Or when they had an opportunity to talk to somebody about the truth. And so, the Holy Spirit inspired them to be able to speak in tongues, for example. To do a certain amount of healing, to have some inspired prophets among themselves in the churches. And they could use those spiritual gifts, number of them, to reveal the message and to convince people that it was God's Word. But some of those passages, we are told, left when that which was perfect, that is, the completed, written revelation of God's will, when that was completed, there was no need for those miracles anymore, those spiritual gifts. And so, when you come across a passage that's talking about a church situation, 
be sure you remember that when you're trying to figure out just exactly how you are going to interpret that passage of Scripture. You with me? There are a few passages that talk about the Holy Spirit in the conversion of the sinner. And of course, how the, how the Holy Spirit converts the sinner is through providing the Scripture, the Gospel, the message of the Gospel itself. And that Gospel comes into our heart And that's the Holy Spirit's work working in us as we see it. And very similar, sometimes the Holy Spirit speaks about being in the Christian and working in the Christian to help him. And do you know what the Holy Spirit does? The Holy Spirit provides what is called the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering. All those other fruits of the Spirit. He tells us about those. He teaches us about those. And we take that to heart, what our teacher has given us. And he dwells in us like Our teachers at school dwell in us. Come back to that in a few moments. But I think we want to now move on. Let me, I'm I'm kind of doubling up on you a little bit tonight, so take it that way, if you will. We want to observe tonight a passage of Scripture in the book of John in chapter 15. And there Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now he says, verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they're burned. If you abide in me. Notice how often he's using this phrase. He's saying first, you abide in me. And I'll abide in you. You abide in God, God will abide in you. That's the way these passages go. 
By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so that you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. Now I want us to notice a few things about that and what that suggests to us. It suggests that Christ's goal in coming into the world was to bring men to God, to abide with God, to live with God, not only to serve God, but to be in relationship to God. And to do that in this gospel age, we are to be in Christ. That is, we're to be in relation to Christ. So we're to be with God and with Christ in our relationship. Let's read from 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 15. where the Apostle says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Now, That's clear, isn't it? God abides in us. We abide in God. What I'm going to suggest to you is that we abide in God in the same way that God abides in us. Now, some people think that God abides in us in some supernatural, kind of mystical way. We'll talk about how he does here in a minute, but the idea is, first, we're abiding in God, and he's abiding in us. Do we abide in God in some supernatural possession of his being, his person? Like sometimes we talk about demon possession, you know, where a devil really gets into you. That's only little boys. God dwells in us in relationship to him. We dwell in him in that way. We'll see how that goes in a little bit. Let's turn back to chapter 2 of 1 John. We're still in 1 John. He says, therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. You see, this God abiding in us is connected to what we hear, what we learn, what we are 
taught, if what you heard abides in you, you will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. What's the anointing? It's that anointing from the Holy Spirit of God's truth. We're anointed with God's truth and God's word. The anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. How do we abide in God? We listen to what God says. And who does the talking from God to us? The Holy Spirit does in the Bible, in the Word, doesn't he? He's the one that instructs us from God and gives us that which teaches us so that we can abide in God. Chapter 3, verse 24. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. You see, how do we know? Well, the Spirit's told us. He gave us the Holy Spirit to reveal this to us. And as we receive that into ourselves and it changes us and it makes us more like God and brings us into relationship with God because we hear what is taught and we obey his commandments, then he dwells in us. He's in us. Not in some mystical way, but in relationship to us. That is very clear. In chapter 4, no one has seen God at any time. That's verse 12. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Because he's given us his spirit. And the spirit revealed all of that to us. And what is important for us. Now our passage talks about Christ abiding in us. And how that we abide in him. That's John 15 passage that we read a while ago. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you, our text says. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So we ask the question, you know, how, how does God dwell in us? How does Christ dwell in us? How does the Holy Spirit dwell in us? 
which is true of all three persons of deity, the Bible says, dwell in us. How is that? Well, Ephesians chapter 3 at verse 17 says it this way, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, and so on. Christ dwells in us through faith. And John chapter 14, beginning at verse 23, Jesus answered and said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Physically? I think not. I think spiritually, through faith. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine but the Father who sent me. There's a passage in the book of Colossians you might want to write down. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Colossians 1, verse 27. So what do all these scriptures tell us? Let's summarize one more time before we move on. God dwelling in us and our dwelling in Him is a relationship. We want to be in Christ. We don't think of that in some physical, material kind of sense, personally being in his physical person, we think of the relationship that we have with him. It involves shared concerns. It involves communion. It involves response. We respond by following his will in our lives. Being in Christ is a figurative term representing the closeness that we have in the relationship that we have with the Lord. Now, just think about that a minute. We, we use this kind of terminology all the time. I want to suggest to you, we talk about teachers being in their students. And we don't mean physically possessed in some way. We mean that those students have taken into their hearts the love of God, the inspired message of the revelation of God given by the Holy Spirit, When we're talking about school today, the teacher influences the students. The students go out having heard and accepted and received the messages, the teaching of the teacher. And so when those students begin to speak for themselves, 
what they say harks you back to what their teachers taught them. Do you see that? We talk about parents in their children. And I've probably said a dozen times already this week, I see Larry in Reagan. I do. Does that mean Larry is physically in Reagan? Well, not any longer. But, Larry, but Reagan has been influenced and guided and taught by his dad. And I see things about Christie in Reagan that he got from his mother. We use this language all the time. We talk about lovers being in each other's hearts. I just confess to you, Linda's in my heart. And we're far away right now, but she's in my heart. Does that mean I'm possessed? Well, my dad thought I was <laughs> before we got married. But we really weren't. So with that in mind, I want to suggest some things now from a practical point of view. That's, that's kind of the doctrinal part of our lesson for this evening, and you can think about it and study about it. But I want to talk to you for a few minutes now before we have to close. When another person, in our case we're going to talk about Christ, but when another person dwells in you, when another person is in your heart, what does that mean? What happens when that is the case? When one is in your heart, I want to tell you, first of all, you love them. You love them and have brought them into your heart. And that results from a relationship that you have with them. Linda and I have this little thing. We say, I love you the most. And then the other one will say, no, I love you the most. And then the other one will say, no, I love you the most. And we kind of get in a little fight. Nice fight. Let me tell you what Jesus said about this. This is in John 14. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Isn't that beautiful? He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me, he says. If you love me, Jesus says, then God and I, I think he means in this case, the Father and I will come and live with you on the earth. When someone is in your heart, 
you think about them. You think about them all the time, actually. You have a sense of wanting to keep them on your mind. And that doesn't get away from you. Now think of that. When the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 5, Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You want to sing to the Lord. And Colossians 3 says then, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. You have to think about the Lord to do whatever you do in His name. It's important for us to realize that when we are Christians, we're going to think about the Holy Spirit and what He teaches us in His Word. We're going to think about Jesus Christ, whom we have committed to serve. We're going to think about God in all the decisions that we make, living with others so that we maintain that relationship with God and we do the right kinds of things. But that's going to come if He's in our hearts, if we really love God and if we really think about Him. Let me suggest something else. When someone is in your heart, you develop similar attitudes, don't you? to the one that you have your love for. You think about married couples that have been married a long time, as long as we have, and it is just amazing we'll be saying almost the same sentence. We'll like the same food. We'll want to go to Cracker Barrel every Friday night because we like Cracker Barrel and both of us do the same. We like the same things. We develop similar attitudes. I believe Paul said that when he said, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That comes in a passage of Scripture that talks to Christians about immorality and how that they need to develop, if they haven't already, the spirit of hatred towards sin and evil, and to get away from those kinds of things. But the only way they can do that is to receive the teaching of the Holy Spirit and to love Christ. 
in their lives. And that's true for us. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, What agreement has the temple of God? The temple is where God dwells. The temple of God with idols. For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So you develop the same attitudes that God has towards sin, for example. And you develop the same attitudes about people. You should, uh, you should know, Linda, I wish she could have come out here with me this week. But when Linda has, a, Linda, Linda's a kind of a talker when she gets to know you. She'll just kind of go jabber, 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 jabber and talk about all kinds of things. But now, if for some reason Linda has some hesitation about somebody, she knows she ought to be careful not to talk so much around that situation. If I see that, it makes me not very open with those people. We get the same attitudes toward people. We have the same friends. I mean close personal friends. We have lots of friends, and I'm thankful to God for that. And I hope every one of you is my friend when I leave here. But I'm saying to you, the ones close to us, we have the same attitude toward. And that's the way it is with God's people. Listen to what he says about our attitude toward one another. No one has seen God at any time. This is in 1 John 4, verse 12. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected. And we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. If we love one another, you see that? And we add that. You develop a similar attitude toward the people of God. Now, who's in your heart? Jesus is. Christ lives in me. What does that mean? That means I'm going to love the people He loves. It means if he loves our fellow brethren, I'm going to love our fellow brethren. And I'm going to act like that in my life, day by day. So we develop the same attitude. And let me suggest further, if we have somebody in our hearts, we tend to want to do what will please them. And we want to do what they ask us to do. In 1 John chapter 2, Now by this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. He who says, I know Him, and does not keep His commandments is a liar. 
and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. How are we in him? We want to do what he wants us to do. And if we have somebody in our heart, we want to do what they want us to do. Now, you ladies, don't push that too hard on Super Bowl afternoon. If you decide you need the trash taken out. But I am saying to you, we want to please the ones that are in our heart. And that's where that all comes from about if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You'll do the things that I ask you to do. Do you see what we're saying here? And isn't this the case? 1 John 3, verse 24. He who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit that he's given us. We do what the Spirit has taught us. And then finally, we want to be what the ones in our hearts want us to be. You see, I don't want to I don't want Linda to see me as a drunk because she's in my heart. I don't want her to have to go to some prison somewhere to visit with me because she's in my heart. One of the things that I have cared about through the years was my mother and dad, both very fine Christians. And I didn't want to do anything that would bring some kind of evil thoughts on our family. Why not? Because our family was in our heart. Do you see the point of that? I don't need to spend a lot of time with some of these illustrations. I think you get what I'm saying. It's a logical thing when you think about one being in relationship to another for these kinds of things to be true. And when you read these passages, they jump out at you that way, you see. Jesus says, you love me? If you love me, both God and I will come and dwell in your heart. Uh, we will live with you. We will abide with you. And you will abide with me. If you keep my commandments, if you develop these attitudes towards sin and evil and those things that uh, God would hate, then God will dwell with you. He will abide in you. And He will be your God and you will be His people. And then you'll do what He wants you to do. Some of you in this audience need to bring Christ into your life. You need to let Him guide you and direct you. You need to be baptized into Christ. Into His death. Do you know what baptism represents? Baptism is a picture in your experience of what Christ did to save you 
and what he called upon you to do to be saved. You die to sin just like he died for our sin. And he was buried. And you are buried in the water. And he was raised out of that. This is what Romans 6 says, obviously. And he was raised out of the water to a new life. And you are raised in Christ now, in a new relationship, a saved relationship that results in your salvation. Are you here tonight and you haven't been baptized into Christ? What a time this would be for you to step out and say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I want to be saved. I want to be baptized into Christ. I want to do in my action what he did for me. Won't you come while we stand, while we sing our song? Therefore, Jesus, oh my God.